How's everybody doing? Good. good. It is so good to see you guys. How many people here, if we could turn up the lights more, it casts shadows on my notes. I can't see very well. How many people here were um, at the men's and women's advance this past weekend? A bunch of you. Man, that was such a blessing. Um, I want to thank all of the fellas that I got a chance to hang out with. And uh, we were just really, Pastor Brian, um, Mr. Gail Heidi served us well in the Word. And uh, th- this whole week, just walking through MSU and seeing some of you guys that I spent the weekend with was so stinking refreshing. And just, uh, man, the, uh, the teaching was good, but the fellowship with brothers was just sweet. And uh, my wife was able to spend some of the time Saturday, and she had a great time too. By the way, for, for those of you who have been praying for her, she has been, not been feeling too well because of uh, evening sickness. She's been doing really good. Thank you very much. I appreciate your prayers. Um, we're going to kind of reflect. This is a good transition from this past weekend at the Men's and Women's Advance to what we're going to be talking about this evening. Uh, we had a question and answer panel. And one of the, what we did is we just pulled the guys and said, what would you, what would be a good question to ask some older, older men, some men who, like Pastor Brian, if you ever get a chance to ask him questions, that's exciting. So the guys pulled up some questions, and one of them was... Uh, how do I witness to an atheist? And uh, that, that's a good question. How do you witness to a fella who does, or, or a gal who does not believe that there is a God? I ran into a guy in McDonald's. Um, I've known him for a while. He's about 65. And I knew the time was coming when the Lord was going to come up. I just didn't know when. And it happened to, uh, Tuesday morning. And um, he said, Andy, I believe there's a church. I believe it does good things. I just don't believe there's a God. And, he, and uh, so we, we talked for a long time. And uh, I was reflecting later on just Jesus, how he witnessed to people. And he was such a master at going to the heart and talking about the heart issues and uh, I was so encouraged as I walked away. Um, we're going to talk again. And uh, if you think about him, pray for him. His name's John. He's, about, he's getting close to 70. He skis every day. And uh, I hope that I, Solomon said, what did he say? He said, accept the Lord in the days of your youth before the days of hardening. And John's hard, and, but, but God can soften any heart. And uh, let's turn to, to Genesis. Tanner answered that question, and it was neat because the answer he had given was reflected on a sermon that I had heard just a couple days previous by R.C. Sproul. Romans, Romans 1. Did I just say something funny? What did I say? My mind's on Genesis. But we need to go to Romans first. That's Andy. (laughs) 
Romans 1. We'll start at 18 just for a second. We have a ton of stuff to cover this evening. And I figured, hey, we're not going to meet next week, so let's squeeze it in. What do you think? For the wrath of God, in verse 18, is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness because they, because what may be known of God is manifest to them, in them. For God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made. Get this, even his eternal power and Godhead. When we think of this verse, and you think of that men suppress the truth, and that what even his power and eternal Godhead can be known in the things that he created, what do you think of? What do you think of? Just give me some feedback. How has God made himself known in creation? What's that? That's what I told Taylor this afternoon. Right. The, the first thing we think of is something like mountains, beautiful, majestic mountains. My son woke me up this morning at 6.30, and I'm like, we're, we're going through this routine right now where I'm like, I want him to stay in bed till 7. So he, get, he gets me up, and he's like, Dad, you got to see this. And so I'm like, what? He's like, you got to see this. And he's four. And he, he, I come over, and I'm like stumbling late night. And um, he sits, he, he pulls me over to the east-facing um, door, and he's like, look at that sunrise, Dad. And I'm like, serious? And so we, me and Jack and Rhett sat for 45 minutes this morning watching the sunrise. And those little boys sat in awe. Jack is two. Rhett is four. And they were talking, what did... Um, this is what Rhett said. He said, that's like Jesus, isn't it? Because he's like light. And I was like, I'm like, that's not a cry. That is sleep in my eye. It was incredible. But there's something about God that is known in his creation. What is God like? I think, I think Tanner, and you correct me if I'm wrong, is either you or R.C. Sproul who said... <laughs> It's either, see, it was Tanner, R.C. Sproul, or MacArthur, one of those guys, said, you know, I don't believe that you're an atheist. Romans says that there are no atheists. It is clearly seen. What is God like? Do you ever wonder that? That's what John asked me. He goes, what do you think he's like? You think he's like just up, up, out there? That's not what Scripture says. Think of Hebrews. What... What is one thing that we can learn about the person of God? Hebrews 1 says that Jesus is the, ex- is the radiance of the Father and he's the express image. What did Jesus say? To, I think it was Thomas. If you have seen me, you've seen the Father. There's something about the person of Christ. Studying him like we've been doing this year, that we see God. Okay, that's, that's what you would call special revelation. Like that's in God's word. We're going to talk about something else this evening that is in every culture 
since time has been recorded that God has placed into mankind that tells you so much about the image of God. That's my, my first goal, is I want to look at that with you. And then my second goal tonight is I want to answer a question. If you read Facebook, you've seen the question, but this is probably the question I've gotten asked more than any other question this semester by guys. Guys will come up to me, and I really respect it. It's a good question. All right, let's move on. No, here's the question. <laughs> Say, um, how do I know when... How do I know when I'm ready to be married? That's a good question. And a lot of you are thinking, well, let me back up a second. Two years ago, we had talked about biblical roles, male and female roles, and one of the students came up to me afterwards, and they, they were kind of had taken offense that we'd spent a semester studying things like male and female roles, biblical talking about marriage, and she said, are you trying to get us all married off? Like, I am happily single. And you know what? That's good. If the Lord has you sovereignly, you should be content where you are. But the Bible speaks highly of marriage for a purpose, not to make you jealous or discontent, but there is something that we're going to learn about this evening about marriage that you will see the image of God. And if you just hold that off at bay, and you're like, I don't want to talk about that. I'm not ready yet. I'm in school, whatever. You're going to miss out. Because even if you're not married, you don't want to get married, you're around married people. Intentionally, we have asked married people to be part of this group. I'd be an idiot if I didn't. You know why? Because I'd be robbing you of the experience to see something about God. That's why. That's part of the reason why. And secondly, you know, you, you have no idea. You have no, you got a day like this. I'm out, I was out walking um, by the hospital and like there's just like couples everywhere. Like a day like this, your life could change in a day. You're walking along and bing. Who's that? You just have no idea how the Lord sovereignly is going to work in your life. And if you have not considered what God's word says, well, you should. One, because it elevates God. It increases our worship. Two, it will cause you to be mature. Okay? We're going to be looking at Genesis a lot this evening. Let's go there now. Genesis 1. We're taking a break from our study on uh, the Gospels. I think this is a good time. Genesis, first book in the Bible. It means beginnings. Genesis The Godhead is clearly seen as the creator in Genesis. Starts out talking about the Holy Spirit. Talks about God creating. Later on in Colossians, what do we learn? Jesus is the creator. And on day one, it talks about God created. 
light. Day two, God created. Day three, God created. Day four, day five. And it goes on in that kind of pattern until day six. There's an interesting transition that it makes. It says, um, we'll start at uh, verse 25. Still on day five. And God made the beasts of the earth according to its kind, cattle according to its kind, and everything that creeps on the earth according to its kind. And God saw it, and it was good. Then God said, let us. Did you, did you catch the little transition there? Gives you a little clue into something about the person of God. There's plurality. One God, but then it says, let us make man in our own, in, in our image, and according to our likeness. Men have been trying to make illustrations for this for a long time. And people have thought of like eggs and doors and all kinds of illustrations to try to get their mind around that God, what does Deuteronomy say? Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. That's true, totally true. But Trinity, three in one, you see here, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You see, God is so mysterious and he is incomprehensible, but yet he wants to make himself known. And you will not fully comprehend God, but God is an illustrator. He, a good teacher usually uses illustrations. You think of Jesus, so full of illustrations. God is an illustrator, and he's about to illustrate something. Why? Because he wants himself to be known, okay? It says, uh, then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Mitch, where are you at? Oh, you'll play back there. Mitch and Lindsay, come on up. I need you guys. Lindsay, you can just kind of sit to the side for a second. There is something, there is something that God wants us to understand about his image through man. Man, there's something about Mitch. He's an image bearer. He bears the image of God. What does that mean? What does that mean? Why is that important? Do you remember what the Pharisees did when they tried to trip up Jesus? Remember what they did? They wanted to put him in odds against, was it the, uh, the Romans and the Jews? And so they asked him a question. They said, is it right to pay taxes? And Jesus, it says, he saw their hypocrisy. He knew what they were up to. And he said, hey, boys, any of you guys got a... A coin? Do you have a coin on you? I don't. I do. 
<laughs> I got a penny. And one of them got a denarius. I wonder if he pulled it out of his pocket. Probably not. They wore gowns. Anyways, they produced a coin. And they were anxious to catch Jesus up. And one of them gladly gave Jesus a coin. And Jesus said, he looked at it and he said, Whose image is on this coin? And they said, well, Caesar's. It stood for, on one side was Caesar, and on the other side would have been Caesar on his throne. And it stood, that, it stood for, this is Caesar's money. This is Abraham Lincoln. This is our money. Okay? Very similar. Just to expose the first bit of their hypocrisy, their hypocrisy it was against Jewish law to have graven images. I wonder where they got that graven image from. I wonder if they, one of the guys pulled it out of his pocket and he had been holding the, the graven image, which, the, which by law they weren't even supposed to have. Okay? That's the first thing. And then, G, then Jesus said, whose image is on there? And they said, well, Caesar's. Then God, Jesus said, well, then give to Caesar what's his. First point They were trying to get Jesus to say, you shouldn't pay your taxes, because they hated being under the Romans. But Jesus, and Paul affirmed it. If you're under a government, pay your dues. But then he follows up and he says, but give to God what is God's. Okay? Here's what he was getting at. Part of what he was getting at. The Pharisees knew God's word. They knew that they were created In whose image? Whose image was on them? God's image. But they had, in a lot of ways, they had sold out. Because even though they said, yes, we belong to God, they they loved using the system. Jesus pointed out their hypocrisy. See, here's the the first point, is that being an image bearer, like Like Mitch, means that you belong to whose image you are on. Does that make sense? You belong to God. Mitch belongs to God. If if there is one reason that man can boast, and he has none, he is created in the image of God. There's something about Mitch. Why do you think murder is wrong? Why do you think racism is wrong? Why do you think all of these other things that we cut other people down are wrong? Do you think that Jesus or God said, um, thou shalt not murder because he was trying to create a civilized culture? Maybe partially. But the bigger deal is that when you murder somebody, you have just totally disregarded the image of God. That's why suicide is terrible. You're not even yours because you have the image of God on you. You're God's. That's the first thing. Okay, let's expand this verse. There's something about man that's in the image of God. He's an image bearer. Uh, 
Let him have dominion over the fish and the seas and over the birds of the air and over the cattle, over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Lindsay, could you come up here? Male and female. Okay? There's something about the image of God that is expressed through Mitch and there is something about the image of God that is uniquely expressed through Lindsay. God could have made us identical. You ever think about that? He didn't have to make men and women. He could have just said, we're done, man. So glad he didn't. Think about this. First Peter 3, like there's something uniquely beautiful about women. Very seldom in my life has a man walked past me and I said, I'm not even going to say it. Get this. 1 Peter 3 talks about women. This is what 1 Peter 3, God sees in a woman. He says, don't let your adornment be merrily outward in hair and jewelry. He said, but let it be the hidden beauty, the incorruptible beauty that comes within. Check it out. It's, that's an important verse for you guys to read. It's what God sees as beautiful, 1 Peter 3. Now, doesn't, it, to my knowledge, it does not say that about men. It says it about women. Incorruptible beauty. Do you know what or who else has incorruptible beauty? Jesus Christ. Man, that's awesome. Like there is something about male and female that is an image bearer of God. Let's expand this. Okay? So God made, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. Then God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth. In Genesis 2, it says that God brought woman to the man. He ordained marriage. There's something about man that is an image bearer. There's something about man and woman that is an image bearer. There is something about marriage that is an image bearer. Okay? You guys can sit down. Although it's comfortable having you stand with me. It's very cold. No, I'm just kidding. It's not that bad. There's something about um, there's something about a guy and a girl getting married that says something about God. We think about these things as if that as if we are the end. Like um, marriage, that God created marriage for Andy so he could enjoy life? No. It's part of enjoyment of life, but it's a means to an end. And the, greater, the greatest end of marriage is so that we can know something about God. I would like you to think about something for a second. If marriage is an image bearer, Make no mistake that Satan hates the image of God. 
Do you remember what he said? I will be like the Most High God. He desired the image. And everything that is dear and precious to God, Satan will try to pervert. Why is it wrong to live with a person? Why not shack up? I'll tell you why. Because when you see that, what does it do to the image of God? When you see two people tasting forbidden fruit that is meant for marriage and they're, they're, they're partaking in it, what does that do to the image? Well, it says something about not committing to one another. And who would ever say that the, that the Trinity is not committed to one another? That's a perverse thing to say. There is perfect love. Okay? What about divorce? Why is divorce? In our culture, the divorce rate is high. Why is that a big deal? Let me ask you this. What does it do to the image? To think that the Godhead would ever, could ever be torn apart is a lie. That is why divorce is terrible. <laughs> because of what it does to the image. Now get this one. Okay? Because you will be confronted with this all the time. A guy asked me at the beginning of the semester, why do Christians have such a hard time? Like, what's the deal with being gay? What's the deal? And uh, a lot of people think, well, it's wrong because it's an abomination. Or it's wrong because in the Old Testament, they would stone you for it. That doesn't tell you why it's wrong. That tells you that it's wrong. Well, in the New Testament, it says that these are sins. But why? What does that say about the image of God? Think about that. That is why. And guys, you know what? There are other things. There are many sins that, that, are in, that, that I have struggled with and struggle with. I'm not elevating one above the other. I'm just saying as it is. God calls it a sin. But why? Is because it distorts the image. You see, within the image of God, you have Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Three different entities within the same being. Okay? Here's another thing we can wrestle with. In our culture, we wrestle with gender wars. <laughs> when God created man and woman, we think, well, we have a problem with like headship. We have a problem with submission. That's like a dirty word. What do you see in the Godhead? I'll tell you what I see. I see one God with Father, Son, Holy Spirit, different beings with different roles. Would you dare say that any of them are more important than the other? Absolutely not. 
Would you ever conceive that Jesus is more important than the Holy Spirit? No way. But listen to this. Who sent Jesus to earth? The Father did. When Jesus was in the garden, what did he say? Not my will, but your will. What did Jesus say about the Holy Spirit? I'm leaving, but I will send you a comforter. Do you see the, the submission within the Godhead? That's what we, that, that is what we see in marriage. Guys, there is no other religion that... What's the word? There is no other religion that respects genders above the biblical measure. Why? Because we see them correctly and we see them reflecting the perfect image of God. Does that make sense? That's why all of these things are they're wrong. Because what it does to the image of God. Um, let's keep going. Man, it's like, in a, it's like I said before, for you guys to, if we didn't have, if you're just one-dimensional and you're just around college students, you don't get a chance to see this. You don't get a chance to, th- think about in every culture, no matter where you go, there is some sort of marriage. There's some sort of unity between a man and a woman. There is some sort of the image of God. God has made himself clearly known. I want to go back to Romans real quick again and read that before we go to my next section. Verse 20, 120. Since the creation of the world, that's what we were just at, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made even his eternal power and Godhead, three in one. I cannot think of anything else in creation, mountains or sunsets, that give me a, a, a clearer representation of the Godhead than what God laid out in marriage. It, it, it's beautiful. Why? Because it's in the image of God. Let's keep going. Um, I did, I, I did want to write, show you this one verse. We think about like gender importance as, as if one is import, more important than the other. You go to Galatians 3.28, you find that that is not true. In Christ, there's neither Jew nor Greek. <coughs> It's not about being male or female. It's about being in Christ. We get, and again, in Colossians 3.11, that's kind of a side note. Um, Satan will attack anything that is precious to God. That's why we wrestle in our culture. That's, that's what's up. Step two. Here's the question. Am I ready? Am I ready to get married? That's a good question to ask. And um, 
I don't want you to take offense. Uh, this is like the guy's turn to get hit in the gut a little bit. Okay? Because, like I said, there are roles. Not importance, but there are different roles. And in the marriage, God has called man to be the head of the family. You know what that means for me sometimes? That means, Andy, you go be the leader of serving. Not the leader of leading. It's the leader of serving. I'm learning that right now, hardcore. It's, um, our, our culture has kind of perverted that, what it means to, to be a leader. But like it or not, guys, whether you see yourself as a leader or you don't, in marriage, God sees you as the leader. Okay? So this next section is going to be directly aimed at the guys. This is who you need to be or be becoming. And girls, this is what you need to see. Guys, you need to be. Girls, you need to see. Because you want to marry this type of guy. Okay? First point. We're going to stay back in Genesis again. Genesis 1. My first goal was to elevate marriage. I want you to see it and be like, dude, that's awesome. that's, That's what I think. Even if you don't want to get married, you'd be like, Wow, God has made himself known. My second, the second step, here we go. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created male and female. He created them. Here's your hurdle, first hurdle. This is for everybody. Then God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth. Okay, get this, all right? I didn't get this. You get it. To be married is to have a family. And to have a family is to be willing to have children. Make sure you get that. Because our culture hasn't gotten that. To be married is to have a family. And to have a family is to be, I didn't say ready, but willing. Why didn't I say ready? Because children are a gift. And you'll never be ready. And God may, God may give the gift, and he may not. It's his to give. But if, you are, if you're like, no, that is not what I want. That's part of the plan. That's part of the plan. Here's what I thought. And I changed my mind in one second. One second. I got married... And I wanted to wait five years. Why? Because I wanted to travel. I wanted to save up some money. I wanted to do fun things with my wife. And I, said, I would say stuff like, we just want to enjoy each other. And we put it off. And almost eight years later, Rhett came. And the second that he came into the room, when he was born... I knew that I had been selfish, okay? I remember thinking, daggummit, I would have liked to have known that kid eight years ago. Children are a gift from the Lord. They're a gift. A wife is God's favor to men. I believe it's Proverbs tells us that. So here's what we do in our silly little minds. We say... 
first I want to go to school. That's cool. I want to I want to have a certain dollar amount before I have kids or that. So what we do is we put off gifts from the Lord and we put off grace from the Lord for a social economic status. You will not find anywhere in the Bible where it says college is a gift from the Lord. Happy is the man who receives plenty of degrees. His quiver is full of them. You won't find that. Do you see what we do with value? We don't see what value is. Our culture has told us that, and I bought into it. There's certain things that I want to do before I have kids. And you know, in in the Lord's sovereignty, I was thinking five selfishly. The Lord said, actually, Andy, you're going to wait about eight. Then you'll be ready. But girls, if if you meet a guy and he's like, I ain't no dad, run. He's not ready. You know what he wants? He wants to have fun. He has not taken it seriously. I stinking love watching Evan and Mitch and Tanner and a bunch of you guys play with my kids and love on my kids. Man, I love seeing that. That, that, that tells me something. Do you love kids? You once were a kid. <laughs> That's the first hurdle. Okay, the second hurdle. I'm going to give you three things. I entitled this message, God gives and he gives and he gives. And then I figured out, I was talking to Taylor, I, I had actually entitled it wrong. It's actually God gives and he gives and he gives and he gives for gifts. Let's go to Genesis 2. You'll get it in a second. Do you see value? There's so many things that our value gets all messed up in life. How are we doing for time? We're doing awesome for time. It starts over in the creation account in regards, and it starts to fill us in on some details that we didn't get in Genesis 1. That's where we're going to go. Let's go to um, 8. We'll read a little bit together. Genesis 2, 8. The Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground, the Lord God made every tree grow that is pleasant in the sight and good for food. The tree of life was also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Now a river went out of Eden to, the, to water the garden, and from there it parted and became four riverheads. The name of the first is Pishon. It is the one with, that's, which skirts the whole land of Havalah. Where there is gold, hmm. and the gold of that land is good. Bedellum and onyx, the, um, the onyx stones are there. The name of the second river is Gahan. It is the one which goes around the whole land of Cush. The name of the third river is Hedekel. It is the one which goes toward the east of Assyria. The fourth river is the Euphrates. There's the garden. All right, let's continue. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to tend it and to keep it. Okay. We're going to go through things that the Lord gives. And as we go through, I don't want you to be discouraged 
because you don't have them, or you're not there, because you won't be. In some of these, I am working on them. But here's my question as, you go th- as we go through them. It's about trajectory. Maybe you don't have it now, but are you going in the right direction? Guys, what right do you have to ask a young lady to jump on the train if you don't know where the train's going, okay? Now, maybe you're not there yet, but do you have any idea? It's about trajectory, okay? I just want to comfort the men. <laughs> don't be discouraged, but, but think, think rightly. Are you going in the right direction, Okay? That being said, what's the first thing that God gives? Verse 15, do you see it? What is the first thing? Do you see it? What's that? Something before that. Something before work. What is it? He gives him a home. Gives them a place to live. Gives them a place to stay. He gives them Eden. Check out Eden. Okay, for for one thing, it's where the gold is. You know what's crazy? God doesn't need gold. He put it there for man's pleasure. He made trees that were good for eating. You know what's crazy? God doesn't need food. He doesn't need trees to eat off of. He put it there for man's pleasure. Do you know what Eden means? Pleasure. That's what Eden means. It means pleasure. It was for man to enjoy. It was a home. Joy. Is it cutting out because of me? Or something I'm doing? Cool. I'm sorry. Um, let me ask you a question. Genesis 2.8. The Lord God planted a garden. All of these good things, guys, they're God's. It's God's garden. God's gold. God's food. God's river. God's precious onyx stones. I don't know what they are, but they're God's. Guys, do you see what you have as from the Lord? Do you see that? You see, we as guys, we have this entitlement where we think we earn things. And we think we deserve things. The truth is, is that it's all God's. What is, um, 1 Corinthians 4, 7 says, What do you have that you did not receive? What have you got that hasn't been given to you? Well, I, you know, I worked hard for that. Who gave you the strength? Really? You think you, really? Well, you know, I worked hard for, I mean, I have um, the, the intellectual ability to put this company together. Where do you think your intellectual ability, or lack thereof in my case, came from? It's the Lord's. They're good things but they're not yours. You are what's called a steward. Good verse for you to remember. Psalms 24, 1 and 2, the earth is the Lord's in all its fullness. 
the world and those who dwell therein. Guys, do you see that what you have is not yours? And let me ask you this. Are you a good steward? Are you a good steward of what you have? The home that you've been put into. Um, Secondly, the garden is beautiful. It means pleasure. It's for man's enjoyment. It's from the Lord. Are you able to see that? That it is good. I'm going to ask you some practical questions, okay? What's your room look like? Uh, Yeah, mine too, sometimes. Are you being a good steward of what you have? Do you think about money? Do you you think realistically about the money that the Lord has given you? Do you think realistically about the dorm room the Lord has given you? If I was to walk through your apartment, would you be embarrassed after what we're talking about? Are Are you a good steward or are you a slob? We struggle with this, guys. We have this sense of entitlement and my room, I'll do whatever I want to do. Kick my shoes off, you know? That's kind of that mentality we have as, as men. It's, what do you have that's not been given to you? It's the Lord's. Are, do you know that? Secondly, I was talking to, is Austin here? I thought I saw his truck. Um, we were at the men's retreat. I really appreciated this about him. Um, I'm kind of, I can get kind of uh, funny about guns. I like guns a lot. And like if someone's like, hey, could I use your gun to go hunting? I'd be like, maybe. Where are you going? What are you hunting? Are you going to wax it? And Austin brought his, his shotgun, and a bunch of guys brought their shotguns. And, I, and he's like, hey, use mine. And I'm like, serious? And he's like, that's why I brought it. And I was like, man, that's, that's what I need to be like. I wish I could honestly say if somebody said, Andy, can I borrow your truck? I could be like, brother, it's the Lord's truck. I forget that I'm a steward. Bothers me. Um, I admired that about Austin. Um, If you can't keep your home, even the little home that you have, you're not ready for a wife because you'll treat her like a mommy. That's the truth. I think a lot of times, as guys, we don't pick up because we just expected our mom to. We don't do the dishes because we expected our mom to. We get married and we expect our new mom to. And that's how it goes. Ladies, this is not the man you want to marry. He's not ready yet. If he can't keep... His little room and little stuff that he has and lead in that area. I'd like you to notice in Genesis 2.15, there's no Eve yet. No Eve. <laughs> there's a home and there's an Adam, but there's no Eve. You don't get one either. 
<laughs> then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden. Some of you guys said it over here. What was the next thing God gives? Gives work. To do two, and, and when we think of Adam working, what do we think of? Naming the animals. Bear. <laughs> Elephant. And it, it's neat because God did give Adam that job, and he gave, God took pleasure in watching Adam do his job. It says he, gave, he, he wanted to see what Adam, how Adam would name the animals. Turtle. You know, Ant. And God took pleasure in it. But that wasn't his only job. He had other things to do too. Raccoon. And it was a big job, but it, there was other things too. Slug. The first thing, to tend it and to keep it. Tend. My, my version says tend. What does yours say? God put him in the garden to tend it and keep it. What's that? What's that? To work it. What else? To cultivate. Do you see the... That, that's not naming. Raccoon. Cultivating. That's taking what God has and working it. What, does some of your other versions say anything else? I, I, I saw one version. Uh, I forget what it was. I think it was Young's. It said to serve. And all of these aspects are part of work. Cultivating serving. Men, let me ask you a question. Um, do you see work as sacred? I think we compartmentalize and we say, you know, missionary, that's a sacred job. But I work at a coffee house and someday I will be a missionary too. And we forget that no matter what you do, whatsoever you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord. Your work is from the Lord, and it should be unto the Lord. It is a mission field. It's the Lord pleasures in you working. Now, hard work, the sweat of the brow, came after the fall, and that's how it is. We're going to have to deal with it, but work is a good thing. I had a buddy of mine he said, Andy, I am 22, and all I want to do is be retired. And a, a guy was standing with him. He's like, man, right on. They're not ready to be married. They don't understand that work is a good thing. Do you see work as sacred? Okay. Some of you guys don't have a job. How are your grades? part of your work what is your student work student ethic do you do it as unto the lord you you've committed to it is that little part of your life are you doing a good job what what would your teachers say about you are you a good student if you do work what what would your co-workers say about you are you pleasant to be around or are you annoying? Are you, are you lazy? Are you working unto the Lord? Or are you working in the flesh and you're just like, man, I can't wait till 5 o'clock? What would your boss say about you? Remember, good questions. Um, 
There's that aspect of work. Do you remember what Paul talked about? The gift of... Uh-huh. <laughs> I've seen multiple people leave. I'm just kidding you. Love you, Dave. You got the groove. Mm. Um, remember what Paul said about the gift of celibacy? Unhindered service to the Lord. Do you realize that right now you will be able to work unto the Lord harder than any other time in your life? When you're married, you will not have that unhindered opportunity to serve the Lord and work hard in ministry. It'll be gone. And I don't look back like, oh, I miss them days. But I do say, man, I, I wasted a lot of energy on me. Man, guys, we waste a lot of energy on me. And you're going to regret it if you're, if you're not working unto the Lord like I see some of you guys, and I so admire you, how much time you put into serving. Man, that's the gift of celibacy. It's not necessarily a lifetime, lifetime gift. Don't be afraid of it. It's a good thing. Paul says, I wish you were all like me. What's the next thing? An older man to a younger man, Paul, to Timothy, he said, I want you to be a worker Where? Where? Do you know? In the Word. Where's that at? A worker in the Word. Timothy 2.15. Check it out sometime. Do you take these jobs seriously? Are you a worker? Do Do you see your job as sacred? Do you see... Ministry? Do you work in ministry? Do you work in the Word? Um, or are you lazy? Second thing, God put Adam in the garden to watch it, to work it, and then to keep it. Second thing is to, it means to watch over it, to, to shepherd, to lead. Men, we are quick to deny responsibility of leadership. It was not but four verses when somebody was already denying the keeping position. Do you remember who it was? Cain and Abel. Where's your brother? Who, what, am I my brother's keeper? Already somebody is saying, that's not my responsibility. And that's, that's, how, that's, who, that's what we do, guys, is we deny responsibility. We deny when we should be leading we're lacking. We're, we're, we're following around. Well, what, what do I lead? Be a leader in your, in your home. Lead over your own things that you have. Your little dorm. Are you, are you leading in that area? Are your friends? Are you, do you take your converse, the conversations that you're, you have with your friends and lead them towards godliness? Or do you just follow along? Are you a leader? You see, God doesn't give any of us outs. He doesn't say, well, he's a leader and he's not. And 
It says, you, you, you are a leader. I was talking to one of the guys who attended Cross Life. He's watching a sermon message on marriage. And it's not a matter of leading and not leading. It's a matter of good leaders and bad leaders. How are you leading? Um, leading in service. That's a good question. Like I said, sometimes in my home, I need to, be, to lead in serving. Who is that in the image of Jesus? Leading in conversation. Leading by godly example in Christ-likeness. Are you leading? Women, you don't want a guy who doesn't lead. You don't want a guy who doesn't work. Here's why. He'll send you to work. Nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with women working. But here's the point. It'll be for extra income so that they can play. That's, that's what guys do. We, we, we mass toys. We mass debt. And pretty soon you have a family that is just strung out because they're working so hard. Ladies, look for a man who is a leader, who's leading in his little area, <laughs> quietly, humbly, and look for a guy who's, who, who, who sees work as sacred. He loves to read God's word. He loves ministry. He's in church. He's, he's impacting people, impacting those he's around. Um, let's keep going. God gives a home, but no Eve. He gives a job, no Eve yet. Genesis. Then the Lord God took man, put him in the garden of Eden to tend it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in, that, in the day that you eat you will surely die. What's God give? He gives boundaries. Okay? We see boundaries as a bad thing, restraining. We see that as uh, hindering. But you've got to trust God. He knows what is good for you, and He knows where you need to stay within, staying within the boundaries. Um, 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 through 7. We read this at the retreat. It was very good. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality, that you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification in honor. Abstain. Guys, are you keeping the boundaries that God has given are you a ladies' man? Girls, don't marry a ladies' man. Guy who's like suave. He's not ready to lead a home. He just wants to fool around. He's not going to be a good husband. If he's not keeping... And here's the lie. Guys, here's the lie we believe. Girls, here's the lie we believe. When I get married, it'll all be Okay. Yeah, I'm not keeping the boundaries now, but it's so hard. I'm single. 
But when I get married someday, then it'll be easy to stay within the bounds. You're wrong. Here's what will happen. You're not keeping your boundaries over here. You're living in sin. You're going to get married, and guess what? You're going to invite a wife to join you. Now it's just not you in sin. You've just included a wife. And then you have kids. Today. Like, live within the boundaries that God has given you. The fruits of the Spirit self-control. Guys, learn that, learn that lesson. Ladies, look for a guy who, who keeps his boundaries. What did Job say? I have made a covenant with my eyes. I, I, I'm gonna, I got boundaries on my eyes. How can I look on a virgin? Guys, you're keeping your boundaries? What you say, it goes further than this too. I mean, specifically, God's boundaries were don't eat the tree. That was God's word, okay? There are so many boundaries that we push. How can a young man keep his way pure? What does it say? By what? Yes. How can a young man keep his, keep his way pure? By living according to your word. Guys, do you know God's... I've made a, a habit lately. Well, it might not be a habit yet because it's pretty recent. But I'm working on it. Here, here's my, my goal. Is going to scripture and reading it and asking myself this question. Here's one of the questions. What do I need to obey? Is there something that I just read in my devotions that I can respond to in obedience? That'd be a good question to ask yourselves when you go to the Word. That's only one of the questions, but I'll throw that one at you. What can I obey? Faith without works is dead. It's more than just reading. It's responding, keeping the boundaries. Um, no Eve yet. I want to kind of wrap up here and remind you it's about trajectory. It's about are you going in the right direction? Like the Lord's standard is high. Go for it. You can in Christ. What is it? First John 8, 36. If the Son has set you free, you are free indeed. You can be free. You can obey. And maybe you're not perfectly keeping your home now, but are you working on it? Or are you just fine? And maybe you don't enjoy working. It's hard. God told us it would be hard. It's from the Lord, though. And he promises, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. You can do it. <laughs> the boundaries. Oh, man, Andy, I'm wrestling. Yeah, but are you overcoming or are you being overcome? Are you living wisely, men, before the Lord, before men? Fellowship? Ladies, do you, the same for you? It's about trajectory. Um, I'd like to close 
a couple of things. That Romans verse hit me. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made. Even, even his power and Godhead. Do you, has, your, has your appreciation for God at all been expanded? Man, mine has. As I've been studying this and I see married couples and I see, I think about marriage, like, man, Lord, you are great. You are awesome. <laughs> Thank you for, for giving me these illustrations. I'd like to close by, um, I, was, I, I made a, a quick list of a, about four things that I've learned about the Godhead in being married. Did you ever think about that, Mitch and Lindsay? What have you learned about the Godhead by your time in marriage? Here's one thing. As a husband, I am overshadowed by that position by the perfect husband, Christ Jesus. That, that is, that's hard because I am a sinner. And I see that Christ served so relentless. He served so well. And I, sometimes I don't, a lot of times, I don't see that in my own heart. I've been challenged by that in the past three weeks. Um, my wife, she has morning sickness in the evening. And I go home, and, uh, and some of the girls have, have helped our, help our family out this way. But I go home, and I got to be home at 5.30 to cook. Because Jen is on the couch, and she is sick. Okay? And then, yeah, I got to cook. Can you believe that? And then I got to get the kids Get them set up to the table. I feed Jen on the couch. I feed the kids at the chair. They don't even say thank you. Can you believe it? Then after that, I feed them. A lot of times, Rhett and Jack will ask for seconds. I haven't even gotten first yet. Listen to me whining. That's my heart, okay? After that, clean up. Put the kids to bed because it's already 8 o'clock. Devotions help my wife to bed, and my heart is like, Really, Andy? Really? Man, I, 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 Lord, help me. I am so selfish. I've learned that, the, that as, I, as I see Jesus as the perfect husband, man, I need, I need Jesus because I lack. I'm learning that about the Godhead. What else? Have you ever, th- this is just something I thought of uh, a couple months ago. Have you ever heard of people say, um, you ever think that God was bored and so he created things? If you think that, you need to be around a happily married couple because they're content. They're content with one another. They're not thinking, oh, I wish we could go hang out with somebody else. Yeah. They're happy with one another. I think about that in the Godhead because perfect unity. I would like to see that in my marriage more and more and more. The Godhead was not bored and so they created. 
that God had was perfect love, perfect unity, and some crazy desire to share it, which is beyond me. God desired to make his glory known. And so Genesis 1, and the rest is history. What else have I learned? Um, discipline. And I don't mean like discipline, like getting up in the morning. Hebrews talks about that just as the Father disciplines those he chastens. When, uh, like th- th- these verses never hit me until I got married. They never hit me until I had a son. Last night, uh, I'm walking up three flights of stairs and I got Jack in my arm. And um, he's, he's a little kid. He's rebellious. Um, he, here's the railing. And the joker wants to get away from daddy. So he throws himself backwards. He almost goes over the railing. And you know what our culture says? Well, you shouldn't discipline them. You shouldn't, you shouldn't do anything to, to hurt their ego. Would you rather me let him go over the edge? Really? And when I see that rebelliousness, I discipline it because I love the kid. I don't want to see him pummel to the bottom. I want to live many, many years with him. And then I think of Hebrews where it says, that's how God sees us. And man, that hits me. Because God perfectly loves us. He perfectly disciplines us. He gives us what we need. That's what I want to see more and more in my own life. Last one is overwhelming love. I remember when I first got married. This was, so, this was rough. When I first got married, it was the first time in my life that I realized this lady is going to go with me. If I go west, she goes west. If I go wherever, she goes. And there's going to come a time when one of us will go. It is appointed unto man once to die. And I love that lady so much. And thinking of losing her or vice versa, man, it rips me apart. When, when Jack and Rhett were born, you think that you can't give any more love, and then you see your kids and you're like, it's just begun. I, overwhelming love, and it is nothing, nothing compared to the love that the father had for the son. Nothing. And then to think about the cross. And you will not understand how the intensity of the Father and the Son and what they did until you're a father. And you think, Lord, what in the world cannot fathom? And on the flip side, I think, and you call me a son. We have been called sons and daughters. And, and, and God, I was reading a verse, I think it's in Psalms 40, that it says that God thinks on those he loves. He thinks of me. 
loves me. That's pretty awesome. How do I know all that? Because God has revealed himself. He's illustrated himself. He's put his image on these things, and he has clearly seen. Even his power and the Godhead. Isn't that incredible? Let's pray. Lord, you are so good. Your goodness knows no bounds. And Lord, we take you for granted so much. And there are things that we are involved in. There are things that are around us that clearly shout out about your greatness. And we call them common. Lord, forgive us. Help us to desire and see the value in the good things that you have for us, Lord. Lord, we... um, Why in the world, sometimes I wonder, did you ever create something when you didn't have to? In the depths of your love of redeeming it. Lord, may we... If your image is on us, Lord, and we are owned by you, may we worship you, Lord, truly. Pray, Lord, that that, that this evening our worship will have been expanded, will have been heightened by your word, Lord. We ask all these things in your name. Lord, watch over my brothers and my sisters tonight as they take a break. Lord, may they not take a break from the things that you have for them. May they use this time off of school, Lord, to spend some time with you. Help us not to be lazy, Lord. We love you. In your name, amen.